This is Colin of Cream Corn in the Universe, and each week I will have a different co-host talk about a different character in Twin Peaks and how they fit in the mythos. For today's episode, I actually have Martin of Lynchbricks to discuss Gordon Cole, and I think you'll enjoy his insight. Hi, I'm Martin. I'm also known as Lynchbricks on Instagram. I specialize in Twin Peaks, but Lego. Um, it's a lot of fun, and I am a huge fan of Twin Peaks, and I cannot wait to talk about Gordon Cole. I guess we'll just start off with Gordon Cole as he is in the original series, because my initial thought is just he's like this like funny character. And uh, even just that would have been like entertain enough. Because, uh, you know, I love scenes such as like the uh, moment when he yells, uh, he's talking so loud to Cooper that Truman has to come in from the other way and be like, hey, I'm sorry, we can hear every word you're saying. But uh, I also don't think it's 100% a coincidence that when you think of season two, episode seven, is that in the previous episode, Gordon Cole's there for when uh, the one-armed man truly becomes the one-armed man, and like the whole Philip mm-hmm. Gerard facade goes away, and then the, the beginning of the episode, like he's there and he just says he's going back, uh, back to the Philadelphia uh, FBI offices, uh, then Lane mm-hmm. Lynch to just direct, you know, was arguably one of the best episodes of season two. But uh, I... sure, I mean, I guess we're sort of uh, leaping forward because actually the interesting thing about Gordon is his first appearance is in season one, and that's in I think it's episode four, and it's through an intercom system. And now there's no coincidence. There's it's not a coincidence that Sunset Boulevard is his favorite. It's David Lynch's favorite show, and then you have um, Gordon Cole is a character in it who is trying to get a car from Norma Desmond and talks on the telephone. I think that kind of sums up that perhaps it was only ever going to be a cameo. And then later on, uh, it, it became a fully fledged character. Do you know, like, I, I don't know, that's just kind of my sort of take on it with sort of season one. Maybe they didn't even know they were going to get a second season at that point, to be fair. So, no, actually, that's a good point because uh, when I think of Goran Cole, um, I just think of how, like, actually, when Lynch, when he first talked about the pilot with Dwayne Dunham, his first thought was, hey, this will never get picked up, but let's have fun making this. And I feel like there was sure. that certain degree he had that with season one where it's like, hey, oh, you know, could they really renew it? Because uh, uh, I know Mark Frost seemed like he was a little more confident, but uh, like with Lynch, he's never been 100% clear if he was like confident that season two would be renewed. But I imagine when it was sure. renewed, he just knew that, uh, that like, because, you know, with season one, he did the pilot, and then he did episode two. And then for season two, he was like, oh, you know, I want to be more hands-on with, like, directing the first two episodes, directing the episode where Maddie's killed, and then, of course, the season finale. But uh, in the case of Gordon Cole, though, I, I do think that, uh, putting aside what I mentioned about uh, the scene with uh, him in the beginning of season two, episode seven, I actually think of even other scenes, like uh, his scene with Shelley, which is probably one of the funniest scenes in uh, near the end of season two, where I feel like most fans start to think that that's where uh, that's where everything starts to kind of pick up after kind of the rough patches. Because uh, the thing is that I just thought the scene was funny in of itself. But uh, I think that one of the reasons why David Lynch was pushed for that scene 
is that Bobby was kind of just becoming just like a total scumbag. Not even like a, you know, like just like a very unlikable one. And then so I don't think it's a coincidence after the Gordon Cole, up, you know, like thing with uh, Shelly that the next episode he starts talking about how, oh, you know, when I saw you with that guy, it just, you know, shift. I started looking at everything differently. And then Bobby starts changing as a character from that point on. Well, you know the story that he wrote um, the kiss scene with uh, Madgen because he thought she was beautiful and really wanted to kiss yeah. her. Oh, yeah. Um, weirdly, I did some research, and apparently she was absolutely fine with that. Oh, so. yeah. I, I remember actually in uh, Room to Dream is that apparently not only was she totally on board for it, but a lot of the other women on set were like, wait, he picked you? Like, that was the yeah. that was like the big thing for it for her. If but, you really watch the scene, she is having a great time as well. Yeah. I don't mean the kiss. I mean the whole scene in general. Like, oh, yeah. You can just see she is loving it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of weird because I guess <sighs> Gordon's such an interesting character because um, I know we're sort of bouncing about all over the place, but, uh, you know, they really did a good job of slowly introducing him into the series that you know that you see this argument via the intercom with cooper and then they are having this heated discussion you know you get everything about gordon that he's one part boy scout one part fbi agent you know like he's by the book but he's fun you know there's this whole sort of thing and then um yeah it's just so by the time then he gets into the show and by the time he's there we know who he is we know everything about him and they can have a lot of fun with him and the fact that you know gordon is uh um, by being deaf there's an interesting thing where he is able to explain important things to the audience loudly and repeat it Mm -hmm. (laughs) all while making him adorable and wholesome and making you really love him and that's a total accident but it's really clever the way it's done now actually i guess that also makes me think of uh early on season two when he's actually introduced where him and uh, cooper just instinctively they just point at each other and immediately yeah. you just get the sense that these two are just like you know, obviously there's a boss or sort of dynamic, but also that these two are always on the same page, that they uh, they sure. just get along with each other extremely well. And, uh, sure. yeah, I, I just, like, they're just somewhere it's like, put aside the fact that it's Lynch himself, it just, it, it but, just, he adds a lot to, for someone who only had one previous acting credit before this. Yeah, yeah, but that's also sort of, you've hit the nail on the head there, because it's also, you can't, put lynch aside i mean it looks like him also he loves cigarettes he loves coffee he loves donuts he loves women this is all let's face it the tropes that we know and love about david lynch (laughs) so it's kind of uh i sort of see it with gordon as uh and this is just my take feel free to jump in but it's it's sort of his um god i can even explain Gord, it's just interesting. Where does David Lynch end and Gordon begin? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. And it's just that how much of it is like what the fandom thinks David Lynch is really like. I mean, we don't really know what he's like. Obviously, we know foul temper and a whole bunch of other stuff. But actually, um, 
he's just great to watch, isn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah. And the thing is that in the original series, I just primarily look at him as just, like, a fun character. And that would yeah. just be enough to make me happy for it. But uh, when I think of stuff like Fire Walk With Me, even... And, yeah. uh, and then definitely season three, that's where it just starts becoming like, you know, it's like you said, the whole, you don't know where Lynch begins and Cole ends. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I feel like even, even the very first scene that we see of him in fire walk with me, uh, I don't know if you read John Thorne's, um, agent Desmond theory, but, uh, one of the things that he brought, no, what is it? uh, that ultimately he thinks that, uh, Chester Desmond is like basically a figment of Dale Cooper's mind where, uh, where, uh, Cooper's uh, like reliving his memory of, uh, trying to find Teresa Banks, uh, like again, uh, it's I, I don't know. It's like he uh, he's very concise and like far more detailed than I could probably give any justification over over this. Sure, but uh, but I think that a lot of that, if I had to guess, because um, I don't know if you've read my life, my tapes, but in that uh, Cooper, no, he... no, I've not actually. Okay, because <laughs> in that um, it came out a year before Firewalk with me. And uh, in that, Cooper talks about how he goes to find the body of Teresa Banks, and then uh, Sheriff Cable's working with him, and how he gets back to, uh, I, I believe he gets back to Philadelphia. And I, I, wow. I, I definitely get that, because I do that with The Secret Diary and Fire Walk With Me, where there's certain things that just don't fit with continuity, and there's just this part of you where you just insist of find a way that fits in line. But, uh, sure. but, but during, but That's during that, Twin Peaks, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah. No, if you, uh, if you ever, if you have, uh, the essential wrapped in plastic, I would highly recommend it. Cause, uh, I know it's a theory sure. that not everyone agrees with, but I do think that he makes a pretty good case for it, regardless of where one stands on it. I, I'm not entirely sure that would be real because, uh, as far as I was aware, there was going to be another couple of movies after Firewalk with me. Mm -hmm. Um, one of them is going to be starring Chester Deadman. So maybe but i don't know oh yeah that's... no it's yeah. uh but yeah it's actually like uh desmond's a character that i like a lot and i would absolutely oh, yeah. be up for talking on a separate episode but the main part i did want sure. to get at is that uh he believes that there's a certain importance of duality uh and actually this will carry into why i talk about with philip jeffries as well is that the uh mm -hmm. there's two secretaries that uh, assist gorn cole as he's trying to get desmond like you no know, promptly to where he needs to be and uh yeah. i just took it as uh as if like He's just that important of a person that he needs two secretaries, but uh, he actually—I <laughs> forget like what well, I forget like, like what he what he talks about in particular, but he definitely talks about the significance of duality throughout like that whole duration of uh, the Deer Meadow segment. Because uh, mm -hmm. I, I always kind of viewed it, uh, and this might have to say I also have to save this for a part in season three, but I view like there's almost like a converging reality theory where it's almost like I just get the sense that like. You know, like at like with uh, Laura's death and how Cooper like what tries to rescue her in part seventeen, that like uh, mm -hmm. having her from being dead to going missing changes a lot, yet little at the same time. And I was kind of view yeah. that uh, the yeah. secretaries is kind of like an indicator of that. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, I don't know if you had any thoughts on when you rewatched the scenes in the Deer Meadow at, uh, beginning. Um, yeah, so have you seen the the Firewalk With Me cut with the missing scenes put back in? I did, yes. Love it. It was an incredible just, oh, this was the movie. And, and listen, I'm a bit older than you, so I don't know if you remember there was such a fight to get the deleted scenes at some point. So what a joy that we get to see it all sort of cut back in now. Um, and when you see the, the missing scenes, yeah, I, Oh, God. I mean, I think I've seen Firewalk with me so many times that it's finally, 
I don't think I'd ever sort of figured out that Deer Meadow was meant to be sort of like the opposite of Twin Peaks initially. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, because so. when I think of um, relative to Deer Meadow is that uh, I remember when, like, when I watched The Missing Pieces separately and mm-hmm. it showed the Desmond fight. And I think to myself, yeah, I think I can see why they got rid of this. But then you watch in context oh, yeah. with the edit as like, no, this actually works very well. And then when you watch sure. like just the theatrical version, you'll see the... Uh, cable Ben Steele article and it's like oh mm-hmm. okay I guess that really feels like a plot thread that led to nowhere now that you know it's effectively removed from the movie yeah no no I get you and I, and I have to say as well like that scene with um, uh, Leland, Laura and um, oh my god uh, Sarah mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the scene where they're uh, speaking Norwegian and they're all falling about laughing is just that needed to be in the film that was I've, we've gone totally off topic oh no that's fine though no. yeah no, but, that absolutely needed to be in the film because it's such a like a lovely sort of moment between them all that that should have been there and i think it does such a disservice by not actually um and again before we shift back to goran cole did you ever see uh grace Zabriskie's take on it because no. she's actually on the same boat with you in terms of thing that that like that was the one scene that she felt needed to be in the movie but her interpretation was more so that the way Leland is like talking Norwegian with them and holding their hands it's almost like a controlled way of like uh where they're po- not not like enjoying it but like this like almost hysteria of sorts uh and, yeah. and I think there's like a you know it's like for her she looked as if like you know, there's the clear-cut stuff about Leland where he's, like, very nefarious and very controlling and, like, uh, off-hinge. But then, like, even, like, mm-hmm. in a scene where it seems, like, rather joyous, he still finds a way to kind of incorporate that. And uh, Wow, I, I never and, even considered that, actually. Yeah. That's no, interesting. That never would have crossed yeah. my mind unless I read that, great, well, you know, Grace of Brisky stance on it, but... Yeah, it's again. That's Does another. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's uh, uh yeah. It's like uh, either, like uh, again. I know I mentioned uh, the essential wrapped in plastic, but there's a lot of great insight on like oh, I everything with the original series, but also Fire Walks Me as well. So uh, if you ever yeah. get the chance, uh, I would highly recommend that you uh, find a copy. But anyways, sure. um, uh, the and yeah. this part might pertain a little more to like a Dale Cooper or Philip Jeffries episode, but I think that sure. because Goran Cole's in it. Uh, the first thing when we see Dale Cooper uh, in Firewalk with me is that we're used to him being upbeat and chipper, but like you see him walk in, he looks concerned, alarmed. He even looks kind of sickly. Like you can kind of see his pores, and he just like looks very like deadpan. But when he talks yeah. about it being ten ten a.m. on February sixteenth, uh, and again this comes back to the whole aspect of duality, is that uh, even by Dale Cooper's uh, own omission in season three, that ten is the number of completion. And so I think there has mm-hmm. to be something about 10, 10 a.m. that, like, really sticks out to him, that this is, like, a very important moment and that something bad might happen. And the thing is that okay. um, in the case of Dale Cooper, he looks very concerned. And put aside the fact that Goran Cole looks at his watch, he looks like he's a lot more in control. And he kind of gives a nod, and I always kind of took it as if that he was more ready for what was going to happen at 10, 10 a.m. than Cooper was. Sure. Sure. It's kind of uh, re- they reference that again in season three, don't they? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the what it means, I'm, I don't have, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, but I think the uh, what stands out, and the reason why I want to bring this scene up is that when uh, when Philip does arrive to the office, uh, Cole is admittedly uh, taken aback that's Philip Jeffries, 
But uh, when he starts talking about Judy, uh, then uh, and then or he doesn't talk about Judy really. And Cooper just mm-hmm. has this look that says Gordon. And then uh, then Gordon just holds up his hand like I know Coop, almost as if like he has like the sense of he has this situation under control. And uh, yeah. and I, I guess like you know with season three when they talk about how Albert and uh, Albert and Gordon just they're starting to retain that memory. That's where it gets kind of foggy, both in re- in regards to Fire Walk with Me and that part of season three. But I did think that there mm-hmm. was something worth uh, mentioning is that I know it's basically the last time we see Gorn Cole, but it did seem like he had more sense of control over what was going to happen during that event, and uh, you know, sure. the, and how just like Philip Jeffries and Judy just ties so much into the larger framework of later season three. Sure, I mean, you know, listen, I think you always just have to st- take it that there was a plan for a second movie and a third movie that didn't happen so you know there's probably a reason for some of the sort of foreshadowing that maybe didn't necessarily go somewhere Mm -hmm. that's kind of how i see it that's fair enough so no but i guess i guess the thing is that uh before i get to season three the reason why i'm so enamored about doing a gorn cole episode early on is that when you think of Lynch, like in 2011, him and Frost, they watched the season two finale when Laura says, I'll see you again in 25 years, that it immediately makes them think, we we could do this. And of course, mm-hmm. there's a long process, but, uh, you know, between talking with Mark Frost, writing every day, I think they, they spent a year talking before they wrote a single word, and then they spent a year or two on yeah. Skype writing it. And then, of course, yeah. there's, the, the, there's the whole debacle of Showtime not being on the same page with them. But when they are, uh-huh. like Lynch, you know, keep in mind, writing, he's directing an 18-hour movie, he's doing the sound design, and you watch those behind the scenes, he really gets on his hands and knees. Like, he's not, he doesn't oh, yeah. phone in for a single moment. And if you, it, you know, really just with all of that in mind, if Gordon Cole was just, you know, a character that just kind of called in on Albert and Tammy, he would have been forgiven, because he really didn't have to have Gordon Cole as prominent as he did. But like I think mm-hmm. the fact that he was so enamored with everything else behind the scenes and playing Gordon Cole, and in like in so many pivotal scenes on top of that, it really does make me like want to analyze those scenes even further and what what Lynch was uh, what he would have gotten out of it and how how a lot of us can interpret it. Yeah, I mean I think he's he's having fun. Like it's it's so abundantly clear in the scenes, isn't it? And oh, then yeah. season three, it's great because you know this is somebody who knows the character and gordon is is an interesting one in season three because obviously you know he is arguably the protagonist you know for most of the episodes you know he moves the story forward in a huge way but at the same time he's um they've pulled back on the comedy it's there he's not shouting nearly as much he's using um like you know the the misunderstandings is there but there's also like the david lynch menace to it all because there's also the argument that we don't know necessarily how much he can hear and how much he doesn't and i kind of love that and i love that albert just calls him out on it sometimes and sometimes he doesn't understand what's going on and sometimes he knows that he's been caught out playing and i kind of love I love that, that you can sit and sort of pick him apart because mm-hmm. he's a, you know, he's gone from this comedy, broad, loud, unique, kind of playful character into this really complicated man, you know, and, and 
I think we're sort of glossing over, like, also in the terms of, like, the, the things which happen in Twin Peaks that the fans latch onto, you know, feverishly in well, all these years later is things like, you know, these iconic sayings that he's given, you know, like uh, small Mexican chihuahua, your socks are on fire, fix your heart to die, you know, your uh, let your smile be your umbrella. I mean, these are like, these, these are great. And these all sort of add to him when they make this, like he's great, you know, like he's just like so fun to watch. Actually, that does make me think, I think this might be the last part where we talk about the comedic part of Goran Cole before we get to the more analytical aspects. But sure, um, sure. I think of that scene in part 13 where I know a ton of people, even like diehard Lynch fans, just do not like the French woman scene. Like when she's like, you know, I getting love ready. The I, French woman that scene is like, if I had to pick like what makes me laugh out loud on rewatches, it is always that scene because Albert's oh, like in this one situation where. Usually he's the type of guy who just goes in and he just means business, but he just, he, he's not going to yell in front of Gordon Cole. He's not going to yell in front of this woman who's like taken like a long time. And then Gordon Cole's just transfixed on her. And then absolutely. like they take and two I think minutes. Lynch is transfixed on her. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I absolutely believe it. But then, uh, but then when you think that's good enough, uh, Albert just has this moment where he looks like he's like, has this internal screaming and then, uh, then uh, Goran Cole, he says, uh, he says about the woman downstairs, how her daughter, who owned a turnip farm, was uh, was has gone missing, and she says he says probably. that she'll turn up eventually. <laughs> and you just see Albert just like he just like not amused. And then with Goran Cole, he looks so oblivious with the smiles, like she didn't get it either. And <laughs> I, I, I just. I, it's it's a scene where I couldn't believe I forgot about it the first time I rewatch the first time I watch it, but the second time I was like, this is legitimately the best payoff. This is like funnier than any of the stuff in Gordon Cole in the original oh, series. Absolutely, and it's actually just a lovely scene. Like if you ever, sometimes with lunch breaks, like I specifically look at sort of scenes, you know, like um, on YouTube and things. And I think out of context, out of the episode, just watching that scene, it's hilarious and it's so sweet and funny. And there is a payoff, and it's it's tension, and you know, there's just everything. And also something that a lot of people haven't really noticed is the French really looks like Norma Desmond from Sunset Boulevard yep. and I don't think that is a I didn't, sorry I cut you off no yep. no 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 you're no I, I was gonna say is that um I have to say it for an Audrey episode but uh you notice you seem to notice a lot more parallels with Sunset Boulevard than I do because um it's been a, I had never seen it oh really and, and I watched it just yeah I'd never seen it and I watched it just recently and I think just fresh off uh um, Twin Peaks rewatch marathon, so I think it was still in my brain. And then just little things that I was sort of noticing. Um, well, you can save the Audrey one for when somebody else. Is oh doing sure, <laughs> no, but like, but the thing is that uh, is that when I watched, I I didn't watch uh, Sense Up Boulevard until a couple years ago, and the person I watched it with, she actually asked me because uh, she knew I was a huge Lynch fan. And she knew that mm -hmm. it was his favorite movie, so she's like, "Oh, you know, for you, what did you get out of this?" And I kind of took more so just the fundamental characters of Norma Desmond, where you can see that in like Isabella Rosalini, and uh, you can mm -hmm. see it with like all these other women of Lynch in his filmography. But uh, oh, yeah. I, I just kind of took that that fundamental aspect and just the just the like the use of like framing and like the way he the the way that black and white is used because it's a very you know this isn't just like it's just like filmed black and white there's just a very deliberate contrast even just with just the limited color 
uh, that I think mm-hmm. just uh, that I think just like stood out uh, to Lynch and like you know that was one thing on top of Norma Desmond that uh, mm-hmm. that just uh, so what that did, just really what did you out. take? Uh... If I can ask, it's slightly off topic, but what did what was your take on um, Sunset Boulevard? I I love it's one of those movies where I remember I liked it when I watched it, but the more I thought about, it, the more I liked it. And I think of yeah. the dynamic with Norma Desmond, the main character, and uh, mm-hmm. there's just some about it that just resonates, where it's just like because you know she she seems to just kind of like you know rag him on, but then it's like uh, you, there's some compelling about her underneath it all. And how sure. and how he handles like you know living with her uh, and you know where she's very mm-hmm. hard to live with, but also she uh, but he's also compelled by her as well. Yeah, I, I mean the one thing about it that sort of took me a little bit out was the fact that she was I think she was in her fifties, and I was like, oh, maybe because I'm forty one, <laughs> I was like, oh, I would have it should her like a little bit more further along oh yeah <laughs> but no, maybe I, that's just me <laughs> i guess uh because I, I and this is I, I mean this is definitely further off the topic but uh, when i think of like yeah, 50 yeah, yeah. and like the 50s compared to now is that i yeah, used to work yeah, i used to work for a health food store and i would tell people is that back when my mom turned 40 i was like man 40 is <laughs> old but then like but I, when i started working at this health food store near me uh, that's when I realized that being in your 40s, 50s, 60s, and some cases 70s, it is completely different now than it was like in the 90s, of course. Uh, and, and, and of certainly course, in the and 50s. It's the glamour of the industry, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And um, anyway, we better go back, but yeah, I definitely think that there's no, there was when I saw the movie, and and though it's a different dress, but certainly the way she's framed and the way she's the French woman's like moves and everything i was like ah yeah i know what that is i know exactly where he got that idea from so now i i need to rewatch sunset boulevard before i do my annual twin peaks rewatch because uh, i'm sure there's a lot of stuff like uh, like like when you notice the mirror with audrey for part 16 compared to the mirror in uh, yep. sunset boulevard i'm sure there's all these little nods that just like just went completely over my head but yeah that was a good one mm-hmm. i was quite pleased with myself when i saw that because i was like oh yeah i know what that is and that just turns the beautiful thing is that that also then creates 50 potential answers to that scene if that makes sense yeah no that's the whole thing i think that's one of the reasons why i was so compelled to do a podcast to begin with is that it always raises more questions than answers in the best way possible so whenever you rewatch it or you talk with people there's always going to be something that changes it up or you know, you look yeah, at later I mean, on. That's the fun of Twin Peaks. Oh, you know, yeah. That's what keeps it going all these decades later, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? It's true. And it, it's, and that, uh, we're literally doing this right now, aren't we? And it's oh, like, yeah. that's, that's what's so, I just love that there's secrets in plain sight and there's still so much that we don't know and we might never know. There's something quite nice about that, mm-hmm. isn't there? No, actually, that does yeah. make me think because um, I talked about this with Pam over the weekend. And uh, I wonder what your take is on because we were just talking about a scene with Gordon Cole and Albert. Is that there's mm-hmm. the scene where uh, it's I believe it's part four where uh, it's when Tammy goes in the diner and Albert starts talking about uh, how he called what Del who he thought was Del Cooper called and then like uh, you know the man he was asking about was found dead days later. Uh, the whole thing is that that whole scene has that blue filter over it. And um, I, I remember my first thought, I was like, oh, I don't know why they picked this direction. But uh, I think of how, uh, I, I believe it's it's got to be, I think Cole does say in that scene where he says, uh, pertaining to it being a blue rose case, that it doesn't get any bluer than this. 
And I just think of how he's very deliberate with the color blue, only use it as sparingly as possible. And I and uh, yeah. and I think uh, from what I remember, Pam said that she thought that because Miguel Ferrer's uh, his uh, schedule so limited that they just kind of did a day for night scene. And I think that would actually work, but I do still stand by that. I think that there's something about the color blue. Like if it was if if Lynch wasn't so fixated on the, on that color. I probably would have like you no, know, just like went with that, but I do think that yeah. there's something about that scene because again, there's always the whole sense that uh, Cole knows more than he leads on, and also this oh, yeah. is a very critical piece of evidence that Albert's held on to for all these years, uh, mm-hmm. and, and the thing is that it's so it's so like secretive that they actually like you know make sure not tell Tammy, and that's I think that's the only scene where they kind of have her like almost shoo away where uh, where Albert discloses something like that. At least actively sure way. Sure, sure. I know what you mean. Um, If there's one thing I know about Lynch, that it's whatever he's chosen, it's deliberate. Oh, yeah. You know, like there's definitely, yeah. (laughs) And actually, this has come back to uh, what I was mentioning, the converging reality theory, is that uh, Mm -hmm. I was thinking of the window wiper scene where uh, at first I thought it was just some comedic where a window wiper just showed up really quickly and he turned the sound down. But I thought about it a little bit more, and I thought, like, maybe that was just something that happened briefly, because I feel like window wipers, they don't just stop and just do something for five seconds. Like, they have to be there for a set period of time. And I was thinking, like, maybe this kind of pertains to, like, a conversion rally of, like, things a lot, yet little changes, and that's, like, yet another indicator. Because um, I don't know if you read John Thorne's Season 3 guy in Blue Rose, but... He was actually on the impression that, uh, at least in the town of Twin Peaks, specifically stuff in the sheriff station, where it's already, sometimes it can be in one reality where Laura's dead, and then the other is where Laura's missing. Because uh, I believe uh-huh. yeah, that, yeah, yeah, I believe Frank Truman, he refers to it as the Laura Palmer case. They don't really explicitly refer to it as a murder. And I kind of think that, uh, you know, if it can happen in the town of Twin Peaks, maybe there's like a trickle-down effect where, uh, you know, there's stuff like the double R diner scene at the end of part seven where... Again, a, a lot yet nothing changes in like the two shot reverse shot of the people in the diner, and I kind of I, I think that stuff like the window wiper scene is uh, indicative that there's a much larger uh, trickle down effect of this. I hadn't really considered that. I just kind of thought it was a bit of a comedic scene, actually, the the window wiper thing, and and also kind of like uh, playing with the. David, oh, sorry, David. Huh. Uh, Gordon Cole's kind of deafness is, uh, yeah. I need to think about that one. Leave it with me. <laughs> sorry. Uh, the scene where uh, when Cole opens the door and he sees Laura, and uh, I know that people seem oh, to have yeah, like yeah. a variety of because I feel like you. Of course, this can go in countless different directions. But the one thing I did want to stress on it is that I don't think it's a coincidence that of all the scenes he picked. It's the one from Fire Walk Me where Donna opens the door and then he's opened a door to see this. Um, because it, it, sure. it, it, it could have used like any footage of like, because, you know, in Fire Walk Me, Laura's under like a lot of distress, to put it lightly. And uh, he mm-hmm. could have theoretically used anything, but I think there's some deliberate about using the footage of when Donna opens the door for when he opens the door to the hotel room. So, so my interpretation of season three, and it wasn't immediately apparent, but, um, and it's slightly related to what you're saying, is that what is going on in this, like the roadhouse scenes is um, 
the two timelines are merging and it's causing chaos. So it's this is why you're hearing about these characters that you don't know about and accidents are happening and crashes and sort of things. It's it's um, the the timeline has been changed and these are the ramifications that are going on and I think that kind of might be related to kind of what you're saying but not exactly. So. No, I, I actually I thought about doing an episode of just having different people per song to talk about it because. Uh, that's something I do think of is that there is something about the roadhouse itself which is indicative. I, I I know there's people I've seen people talk about the establishing shots of the roadhouse. I'm actually more like fixated on the use of color. Like for example, in Chromatics Perform Shadow, that's the only band where it's performed and it was like in the color is blue. Uh, you know, I'll I'll expand much further than it's not a separate episode, but I think this yeah, does at least tie into what you're saying is that the roadhouse does indeed. Uh, what seems like just kind of like a wind down for for an, an initial glance actually says a lot more of just like the story at large, even if it doesn't look like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, it's it's. Um, I think the thing to take away from it is, isn't it just lovely that five years on, there's still so much to unpack, and we haven't even scratched the surface. Oh no, that's the thing is that uh, is that like uh, every time I do a rewatch, I feel like there's always some different I get from. Uh, you know, I, well, anything, but I guess in the case of the scene with uh, Cole uh, and Laura, is that I, I feel like, at least when you, upon rewatch, that's sort of like, it's like Laura showing that she is in distress and in the moments of like her, maybe not the moments that she's being taken away from Judy, but that there, there's some dire predicament that she's in that would ultimately lead to uh, Carrie in Odessa. And whether people think Carrie and Laura are separate characters or for the same character, I at least think that there's some about the ending of part 17 where, I don't know, maybe it's like the affiliation with Cooper, uh, you know, like with, uh, and then his affiliation with Cole is that that's the closest thing that she can get because that's when Cole, or not Cole, Cooper's still Dougie. So maybe Cole is like the closest thing that, you know, that she could reach out to. And I think also on the other note is that I wonder if, uh, and I know that the whole aspect of him being deaf it's kind of just like a running joke in the original series. But I do think that uh, as season three progresses, it starts becoming more of a more of the idea that for what he lacks in uh, hearing, he makes up for in like pretty much every other facet of himself. Because uh, I think of stuff like the scene in part 16 when Diane is about to go in and basically kill everyone. He like immediately uh-huh. turns his head. And before she knocks, he says, come in, Diane. Uh, and so I think that there's got to be some about like the way he he can't hear sound traditionally, but there's just things that he can pick up like in a certain intuition. Like you know, for example, well, I think intuition is probably the right word for him, and I think he is just a very yeah. Uh, Gordon is kind of, especially in season three, is definitely the smartest person in the room. Definitely knows a lot more that's going on. There's some interesting stuff with Diane where he is both there for her and supportive but also is fully aware that she's a threat and i really like that that he can be sweet as pie and the garden we love but when he speaks to albert he's like keep an eye on her you know like there's a real menace there that he isn't necessarily the person that you think he is but no. there's there's just layers and layers and layers and um i and I, I suppose since we're sort of bringing up some, you were asking about some observations I saw, I certainly, like, no way did I notice this until the the rewatch. And 
yesterday. <laughs> and it's there's a really interesting scene with him and Diane where and I think it's the it's the episode with Cooper, well Mr. C is um in the prison and Diane goes to visit him for the first time. And though it, he hasn't had though she hasn't explained to him what's happened, he knows about something about what's happened like the rape basically and when they go outside she throws herself into his arms and if you really watch it it's quite an interesting thing because he doesn't um he doesn't do it back he stands there and he lets her do it and he just kind of touches her on the arm and i just sort of was like oh wow you've literally just done a you know what's going on and i'm showing you that i'm not that person and i was like wow that's just this yeah. tiny little scene and it's really subtle and it's just kind of really fleshes out gordon into like i think from that moment i was like oh okay this man is fascinating mm -hmm. you know no because i feel like yeah. uh in the case of uh in the case of gordon cole is that uh it, it, it i know people seem to have their mileage varies on who he says this to but it seems like he always uh, seems to let on that he knows more that he won't explicitly tell other people. But I feel like that's the the biggest shining example is to Diane. Even that's before he confirms to Albert that he's like kind of honored to some extent. Uh huh. Yeah. No. It's an, and, and speaking of Diane, I did notice. I have a, a theory um, that uh, I'd love to know what you're taking it and whether it's true or not. It's true to me. <laughs> so like. In the scene in the plane with Tammy, and he is showing her the FBI code, mm -hmm. he's touching her fingers. And then there's also a scene shortly after it where he has to break it to Diane that they are going to need to take this flight because of the Blue Rose case. And if you really watch what he does, he puts his hand on her shoulder and he squeezes it every time he says a word. And when he stops talking, he's completely stops. And I think there is a code there between those two people that they are literally this is about something and it's hidden in plain sight and you don't get to be involved in it but those two people know what's going on that i've never even because when i think of the uh the scene with the ring as the spiritual finger i actually mm -hmm. it, my first thought was initially like that it would allude to some about the owl ring but uh when i think of it because he says to her as he presses each finger he says it's very very no i'm very very glad to see you old friend and i actually mm -hmm. think of that it's almost like uh, like when Mr. C, when he sees him in the prison, he says, it's not not it's very, very good. He says it's Yerv very good. Almost as if he slipped out, like, speaking backwards to them. And uh, yeah. I, I, I thought it was almost like there's, like, a contrast to that scene. And I can't quite articulate what it is, but there's just something about when he says, you know, it's, it's very, very good old friend. That uh, there's got to, that there's some sort of connection there. That, uh, that Lynch was very deliberate to... Uh, you know, it might not seem to make sense, and quite frankly, I don't think I really have, like, a solid enough theory on it, but I just keep on thinking that there's got to be something to that. But as for you, uh, finding that, like, the whole squeezing the shoulder every time he says a word, that one, I, I think you're onto something with that, because, like, again... If you really watch it, because there's a pause, and when he pauses, he stops squeezing her shoulders, and I was just like, and it's it's just an odd movement, and he does do it to Albert, but not the same way, and I was just like, oh no, I definitely think there's something going on there, and and 
that's awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's uh, I, I, this is this is stuff I gotta keep in mind for when I do a rewatch because again, it's like you said that like after five years, uh, there's still all this stuff that you'll define, and it just at least it, it ranges from a little bit to a lot changes your perception on like a scene or a character, sure. and then you'll find another scene and that will change as well. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, season three is wonderful about because the, the part of its strength is to take random uh throwaway part quotes or things that happen in season one and two and as a and firewall me and has a beautiful way of sort of bringing it back giving it meaning nuance let's rock you know and the other thing i sort of noticed which i hadn't before is um gordon uh after the vortex mm-hmm. thing is it vortex you know um and his hand begins to tremble and it's like that's a callback to season two, isn't it? Oh, but, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, with my hands start to yeah. shake. I... But it's written off as too much coffee. And I was just like, oh, that's a really kind of could be one or the other. You know, it's, it's sort of like you were saying before how there's stuff in Firewalk me where you accept that it was supposed to be for, you know, movies later on. I think of that part sure. at the end of season two where, like, there's a woman at the Double R Diner, Dale Cooper, and Pete Martell, their hands just shake uh, out of nowhere. Uh-huh. I, honestly, yeah, right. I honestly just took that as a plot thread that would have been in a 1991 season three if that happened, and then they just were never mm-hmm. going to follow up on it. I, I did not even think of that connection of, like, the way his hand is shaking. That, uh, that sure. does I mean, actually. This will happen because I was. Uh, oh, this will happen on the rewatch because I was damn watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like again, yeah. like, it's stuff like that, and that's partially why I want to do a podcast in this format. Is that I like when people sure. do stuff episode by episode, but when you talk about a specific character, uh, you can always just like find that there's stuff that ties back, like to stuff from like previously from years back, or something from a book where that will kind of like may or may not conflict with it. And uh, yeah, I, I honestly, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm astounded by that observation. But sure. Uh, I, again, this is my interpretation of it. So you know, feel free to argue with me, but uh, don't come for me on Instagram. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, I guess, and this is the one where I, I feel like I have a lot yet little to say. But uh, what do you think of the Monica Bellucci dream? Because uh, I feel like uh, there's something that's extraordinarily important, like. I don't want to say all the answers are in it, but there is something between... Oh, okay. I I, I am absolutely on board to hear this. It's it's very cynical, but I need to be honest. uh, So the Monica Bellucci dream in Paris Mm -hmm. is like... I know exactly where that was. That was a tax rebate they got from France, like, basically. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yes, you watch watch the end credits. This film was partially funded through the... um, I can find out the name exactly, but basically, uh, if you look at the end credits, that's what it was. Okay. That's what he did. No, because like... I, I know that that was the last scene they filmed for season three, and I think it was in yeah. Room to Dream where Christine uh, McKenna, where she said that it was almost like a "Hey, let's have fun filming this scene" type of angle. But I never mm-hmm. thought of the tax, uh, the tax aspect of it. That there is a legit I, behind the scenes aspect to it. There was low budget. You know, they needed to make more money. I'm telling you, that is 100%. Why would Monica Bellucci be in Paris, for God's sake? I, but, I guess um, so. Oh, sorry, you go on. No, no, no. It was it was more, and don't get me wrong, it's a beautiful scene, and it's really interesting. And also, it sort of fits into 
David Lynch mm-hmm. meeting, spending time with more beautiful women. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> no, I guess because uh, I think of how, like, you know, there's a scene when he's talking about in the hotel. And I, I, for, I mean, up until this conversation, I, in all honesty, I actually thought, like, maybe he, he was going to at least just talk about that scene. And then, like, he would just, like, you know, he would hope that he could film it. But uh, if not, he could still drive a message home. Because uh, when I sure. think of it, I think of, like, just, like, the use of the sound. Um, and, again, actually, this is actually not from me, but someone had an observation that that ambient sound, as when he's talking about the dream, is actually the fan in the Palmer home, like, slowed down. And uh, there's oh, something about, like, yeah. that, like, just that sound that it makes, where if it's slowed down, because it makes that same sound in and out, in and out. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it's, like, yeah, again, if this ties into the whole idea of, like, with Gordon Cole seeing Lore when he opens the door... That uh, there might be some connection that I can't articulate with Cole and Laura, and of course I know with uh, with with in real life Lynch, he was the one who had the attachment to Laura that would prompt him to you know bring Cheryl Lee as Maddie and then subsequently make Fire Walk with me. But sure. I and I think I still think there's something pertaining to that. But uh, the other one is that the more I think about it, I and again it's uh, in a way only Lynch can do. But when he talks about how Cooper was there, but he couldn't see his face. And every mm-hmm. time I think of that scene, or if I do a rewatch, I just have this like, oh, there's something like really foreboding about, uh, it, there's like something about that dream logic where someone's in the corner, but you can't see them entirely. And um, Yeah, no, you're right. Um, you know, I may be being a bit overly cynical because it is a really, it is a powerful scene. And also it was a great bit of PR because it was leaked you know, that, oh, David Lynch is filming scenes in Paris, mm-hmm. you know, and that gets everybody really excited and sort of, like, popped up about it. So, you know, I totally get that. But, um, yeah, I, the cynic in me is like, I don't know exactly why you did that. But to answer your question, you know, so who is the dreamer? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But there's certainly the scene with is it episode 17 when he's just destroyed Bob. Yes, and that is part 17. you have sort of the, the sort of double, um, uh, what's it, the, you know, you have like Cooper's eyes over it. It would imply Cooper was the dreamer, but I don't know. I think everybody thinks David Lynch is the dreamer, really. So. Oh, yeah. And I know that yeah. um, I've seen uh, people, uh, like at least uh, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the co-hosts on Twin Peaks Unwrapped, or I, I heard a slew of people talk about how basically the fans are the dreamers, where it doesn't really have that one collective type of, uh, type of interpretation. Oh, I like that. I never really thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, because for yeah, me, it's like, well, actually on the topic of part 17, uh, one of the things uh-huh. that I think about is that when all the plot threads are starting to come together, and fortunately this is the part where it's my turn to be a little cynical, but when all the plot, you know, everyone starts coming in the sheriff station, like even Bobby shows like, Hey man, what I miss? And uh, with Cooper as, as like basically the superimposed Cooper starting to fade away, uh, it's almost like uh, Cooper and Cole are the only ones who notice it, where they shout back at each other, and then it just transitions to them and Diane in the boiler room of the Great Northern. Um, I don't know if you had any particular takes on part, you know, with that scene, because uh, like around like pretty much everything between everything between Bob being destroyed and uh, and Cooper going back to 1989, I think there's just mm-hmm. like such a blur that like. I, I, I just feel like there's just so much for me to take in that uh, I that just because of that I just haven't quite gotten like at least a theory I'm comfortable with yet. Sure, I mean I, I get that. It's a 
I don't know about you, but certainly on a rewatch of season three was really interesting because as wonderful it was to get 18 hours of David Lynch wonderment, I have to say, I think 15 might have been perfect. It really does reach a point in, I mean, obviously we have the long scenes, obviously you have these like, you know, a, a lot of, excuse me. Yeah, no, like for me, even rewatching it, like there is a point in the show where you're just like, I can totally understand why fans or people who are like, who started to trail off because it's, it really slows down, really, really does. And then there's suddenly, it just goes, especially like episode 17, you know, it's like a roller coaster. It just like absolutely goes crazy. Mm -hmm. So. No, actually, yeah. but no, uh, what I guess this is, like, like I said, this is the part where I get to be cynical now, is that I know in the special right. features, there's a part where Lynch, he's talking to, uh, he's talking to someone on set about how it's going to take him like a bit of a week longer to get everything ready for Frank Truman's office. And then uh, he said, he assures Lynch, he's like, oh, you know, they'll give you time for the scene that you want to do. He's like, I've been thinking about this for a while. And he's like, oh, no, but you, you have like another week. He's like, I've been thinking about this for a long time, and I have no idea. And uh, I feel like that, uh, that with part 17, there, there's stuff where I do like there's a lot of details. Like, for example, uh, when he when it shows, like, the, the, the damage in the floor, like, just that giant, like, damage where the bob orb was, where he kind of has, like, this tar type stuff, but he starts putting, like, creamed corn around, like, around the rims of it. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, he might not know all the pieces himself, but there's still, like, these vague connections that he feels compelled to put in there. Like, stuff that you wouldn't notice, like, uh, I mean, I'll see a very good eye, but for me, at least, not until I notice that in the special features. Hmm, so, uh, you're talking about episode 17, but what's your thoughts on episode 18? Oh, okay, actually, um, I, I remember thinking that this would be, like, a popular opinion until I met a lot of fans in person, and they kind of gave me a glare, I honestly think that part 18 might be my favorite part of season three. Uh, this is where mm -hmm. I steer away from Goran Cole, but uh, I look at yeah. it as if, um, I know there's a lot of people like Take the Ring who view that uh, him trying to rescue Laura is something that repeats on Infinity. I actually believe that it's really the only time, and that when he goes to Odessa, like everything is like, that's Dale Cooper's endgame, where, uh, you know, in his case, uh, he wakes up, uh, he's now Richard, Diane, who's uh, who's now Linda, is not there. Linda, he, yeah. he walks like you know out of a ho different hotel to a different car, and then uh, when he goes to Judy's, like pr pretty much nothing's off the table for him. And uh, I mean, I'll save my theories for that for a Judy specific video, but of course, uh, yeah. but I do think that there's something about with Party Teen where it is like at least in his mind, like his end game, like uh, everything mm -hmm. he's been waiting for 25 years for has kind of led to this moment. And I think that's why, you know, when he is in the diner, uh, that's why he's a little more violent because he really knows not what's going to happen. So, you know, that's... Hey, Cooper. Yep. Yeah, it's... Uh... So another uh, random observation I noticed on a rewatch is uh, the scene in the diner, you know, where he's like frying the gun and everything. I think I know where you're going on, with this. He takes on a lot of the personality of Mr. C. Mm -hmm. And it's just like... Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's quite deliberate. I think, because so. I think what it is, is... um, and it, it, I, When I say personality, I mean the movement, sorry. Oh, no, no, it's because uh, when I think of it is that when he puts the ring back on, because what I view is that Dougie Jones is, like, basically the lightest aspects of Cooper, and then Mr. C is, like, the deepest recesses, not just an evil Cooper, but, like, the deepest recesses of what he's capable of. 
And uh, right, I believe yeah. that since those two are converged, that there's something almost, you know, that it's like this kind of like he's reunited, but he's not quite reacquainted with himself because you know he he has that sip of coffee. And there's no, I mean, if he had said damn good cop, good, damn good coffee, that would just throw off the mm-hmm. mood. But putting aside that, yeah. he just doesn't seem like he's really enjoying it. He's just there. And uh, I yeah. think that's got to be a sign of that he's not quite comfortable with who he is in terms of being reunited with his former self and being in this situation sure. where, like, nothing's off the table for him. Yeah, I do have to. Um, we've gone completely off topic oh no that's fine i do have to laugh about the fight i do have to laugh about um episode 18 because the first time i watched it i was like you know you you have these theories about what's going to happen and i was like this is like lynch's last project i said this is i was like this is going to be some meta world that is going to go and answer questions about mulholland drive or lost highway and you know blue velvet i totally was convinced and then literally it was like they're sitting in a car and there's 10 minutes to go and i'm looking at my watch going like this is not how i imagined this to go. you know ferris if anyone if anyone at the beginning before season three came out they said oh yeah my prediction is that by the end, he, he will be reunited with Diane, but then they'll become Richard and Linda. Then Linda will disappear. Mm-hmm. Then he'll go to a diner. Then he'll try to find Carrie Page, who's actually Laura. And then he'll bring her back. True. Like, no one would have even thought of that. In fact, I'm, I'm partially convinced that... On uh, that note, though... Um, sorry, no, I cut you off. Oh, no, no. Off. No, I, I guess there's that part of me, because I love Part 18, but uh, I know Harley mm-hmm. Payton, he said that he thought the ending felt tacked on. I kind of wonder if that's where... I know that uh, Lynch and Frost, they wrote together, but I kind of wonder if um, there was supposed to be a different ending and Lynch just like just felt inspired to do, you know, just like shift in this trajectory. Uh, just because, mm-hmm. I again, I, I can't really confirm what happens in the script, but it definitely takes on a completely different feel and it feels, uh, mm-hmm. it, 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 I mean, if I would say out of all the episodes, the one, if we're talking about one contained part that feels truly Lynchian, that's the one for me. Like in terms of like feeling like that terror, like you have no idea where it's going. You have no idea. Like uh, yeah. you, you're, you're thinking of it as you're watching it, but as you keep going, you just think to yourself that I have no idea what I could possibly get from this. And years later, you still are just like trying to figure it out. Yeah, I, I love it now. At the time, I'm not 100 percent sure I did, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. But uh, what I was going to say is, you're, you're sort of saying nobody could have predicted the ending. I don't think anybody could have predicted season three at all. No, you know, I really sat down and I was like, what, what do I think is going to happen? Oh, the Bookhouse Boys are going to come back. No. And it was like, uh, you know, I had these sort of mad sort of theories that never sort of came to light, but nowhere in the world did I think, oh yeah, there's going to be three Coopers and there's going to be um, a, three girls from the casino, you know, all this sort of stuff. So, now, the yeah. only, there's two things that I had in mind for season three, uh, at least when I started watching it. My first thought was, uh, actually, for the first five parts, that's when they were still trying to like show all these like random parts from different locations around the world. Mm-hmm. And I didn't put it past yeah. Lynch that we would just keep on getting different vignettes of people and they would never actually be addressed. <laughs> like, you know, there's the guy in Vegas where he works for Mr. C, but then Jennifer Jason Lee just uh-huh. unceremoniously kills him. I thought that was going to be like almost every plot thread in season three. And that like Lynch was just going to be like a you know it's like a just live for the moment type of thing the other one and i even felt this like kind of in the original series that 
I was like legitimately convinced that Michael Onkin would have one scene as Sheriff Truman close to the end. Not like he would explain mm. everything to Cooper, but like he would like at least allude to more of the evil in the woods and that he almost like in a Gorn Cole sort of way, he kind of knows more than he's ever let on. And uh yeah. that, and like and to be fair, I mean you could still kind of go with that. But I thought there was going to be a scene with Michael Onkin just, like, you know, basically, like, you know, in bed. And, like, there's, like, this, like, you know, like, quick, re- like, reunion with the two. And then it would just, like, leave Cooper just, I don't know, either feeling satisfied or unceremonious. But I thought that uh, Truman would show up in some capacity. Yeah, he didn't want to do it, did he? Nah, I, I don't know, because I, 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 at first I thought that... Because I know the last movie he did was The Descendants back in 2011. I thought maybe he just, right. he was done. But I forget who it was. It actually might have been J.C. Hotchkiss on an episode of Twin Peaks Unwrapped where apparently he actually had, Michael Onkin had social media. And there was a picture that he posted of like, hey, I'm dusting off my sheriff's badge. And it was like with the sheriff's oh. badge and the jacket. So I I really couldn't tell you. And he seems like a guy who's like very private with, uh, like not just a Twin Peaks fan, sure. just a private person in general. So... I don't think we'll really yeah. get a firm answer. Sure. I mean, I guess that's the sort of the real juicy stuff, isn't it? The the the, the, the what could have been. Like you know, there's been um, Lynch has sort of said there was Dick Tremaine was supposed to be in it. Now, what the I, hell is Dick going to do? In I, it? You, know, you know, that's like, the thing is that I heard that from Ian Buchanan, where that uh, yeah. early on that in the writing process. I'm assuming that maybe it was like Mark Frost, Andrew Lynch, like, hey, we might want you back. And I, I could not feasibly imagine what uh, Dick Tremaine would be like in a more grounded version of Twin Peaks. <laughs> in, where, in, in the world of season three. Because <laughs> whenever I explain season three to people, uh, at least people who are Twin Peaks fans who watch the original series but not season three, I try to tell them, I was like, yeah, imagine it's like like 75% uh, Mulholland Drive, 20% Inland Empire, and 5% Twin Peaks. That's pro- and I, Because, mm-hmm. you know, you look at it and... It is Twin Peaks, but it's really not, and uh, yeah. like the feel definitely does not feel like it at all. Uh, oh, I, I think that's 100%. I think that's why for the first few parts I was like, oh, am I gonna like this? It's like I was like, yeah, I'll watch yeah, it, but but I was like, maybe maybe I won't like this. And even like when you do rewatches, there's something that's equally rewarding and frustrating. Where oh, I completely, where I think completely. of like people like uh, Jim Jarmusch or Jay from Red Letter Media, where they say that if they can pick this as a movie, it's their favorite movie of the decade, and it's definitely up there. It's definitely if we're talking about it in terms of a movie, it's the one movie of the decade I think of more than anything else by far. But yeah, there's always going to be some sort of like frustration of like you feel like you're so close yet so far away. Uh-huh. But anyway, yeah, I mean, yeah. I've we've gone way up top it but oh, no, that's it's, totally fine it's, it's fascinating because you know season three is not an easy watch i mean first of all you have to watch you know you it would help you if you watch season one and season two from 25 years ago and firewalk with me and the deleted scenes it would also help if you've read the books and if you knew some of the behind scenes stuff you know and even then you're not gonna get it no. and then at the same time you have this uh we're all waiting for Cooper. Cooper's not there, at least until a very, very long I, wait. Actually, I forgot. Um, this is the only other prediction I made, and I managed to be right. And I can't believe I got uh-huh. it right. Um, so when he becomes Dougie, when I see that he can barely get out of the car and Jade has to help him, I'm like, oh, he's uh-huh. going to be stuck in this for a while. And that's kind of when I had that realization <sighs> of, 
am I going to like this? Because I know that there's fans, like, I know Ben from Twin Peaks Unwrapped, he was like, hey, come on, he's he had that sip of coffee, he's going to become Cooper next week, or he had that slice of pie, it's going to come around. I knew, uh, oh, I can't say I knew, but I was firmly under the impression that it was going to be a while before we'd see the traditional Dale Cooper. And the thing is that, I'll save it for a Dougie Jones episode, but... I found right out of the gate that the Dougie Jones stuff was a lot more rewarding. Like, I have one friend where I've let her borrow it twice, and she feels so much secondhand embarrassment from Dougie, she can't even, like, get through the first four parts. Really? Yeah. I I like Dougie, but I don't... I I think he kept... He he maybe over-egged just how long you had to wait. And I think the payoff was wonderful, but I think that's a long, long time of Dougie. And, And... uh, you know, Mr. C's wonderful, Dougie's wonderful, Cooper, when he's there, eventually is absolutely wonderful, and then immediately becomes Richard, who yeah, he's interesting. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just find it very, uh, you know, there's so much stuff about season three, it's wonderful, but it, it, I think on rewatch, when you know what is to come, it, Dougie's fine. Like, I really like Dougie, and I also, you know, like, I understand when the fans were like, where's Audrey? And I was like, yeah, where bloody is Audrey? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I really, I, I'm sure that could be for an Audrey podcast, but I really do think that they did a bit of a disservice with, to her as one of my favorite characters because just she wasn't, Audrey needed to be perfect and she needed to be badass and she needed a scene where she was just, Audrey and they just didn't even attempt to do that and I know there's Cheryl the Cheryl and but and controversy but they really you know that could have just that's the one thing that everybody wanted doesn't it I so, I know yeah. that Jason Watts he actually wanted to do an Audrey episode with me so I'll I'll definitely go for even after record sure. I'll tell you but uh but yeah there's definitely yeah. a lot of stuff with season three where uh, it just like her stuff just clicked with me. Uh, and again, I know where it's like, uh, it's sort of like the whole with Dougie, where people like they wanted that traditional Dale Cooper. And uh, I, I'm i in this weird camp where I actually like what they did with Cooper. When I say Cooper, I mean, this also is relative to Dougie Jones and Mr. C. I like what they do with him and Audrey more in season three than actually the original series. It's like almost like Mar- Lynch and Frost, they create these new character archetypes. And then this is what they did to expand it further. Um I, I don't. I don't know if that's really the best way to describe it, but uh, I, that's just like for me to kind of tie it up just before you know yeah, I, yeah. I get to it in subsequent episodes. Sure, of course. Yeah, yeah. I don't want you to. Um, you'd be like, well, I've got nothing to say about your Audrey episode because oh, we've yeah. discussed it. <laughs> no, but I think we've said everything about Gorn Cole. I mean, unless you have any final thoughts, um, I, I've said um, everything that's on my on my end. Sure. I mean, just well. I mean, the other thing that we haven't really sort of mentioned and is, uh, I suppose, is a really interesting tool for David Lynch to play Gordon Cole. And that's the whole scene with Denise where um, in The Return. And that's a really beautiful thing because what he gets to do is he gets to spell out to the audience, no, don't get this twisted. I we brought in this character. This was done with respect. There wasn't the language that there is now and you have no right to be offended because we mm-hmm. took this character and we, you know, first trans person, well, obviously not trans, but, uh, you know, to first trans character on television as far as I'm aware. So, you know, they did a sort of huge thing with it. And I just really love 
the way that the whole scene with Denise and Gordon is just that they get, you know, the fix your heart to die, but they also he gets to really spell out to the audience exactly what his intentions were. And also there's also just the whole thing where he's not one hundred percent down with everything you know that the mm-hmm. bit where she's talking about her hormones and he's just really uncomfortable and just like which for such a sort of ladies man i was like oh that's such an interesting moment because you're this is not that we are so far away from the shouting um joke of a character this is nuanced this is leveled this is just brilliant mm-hmm. it's so watchable oh no i actually i think um the scene with denise um I like that scene so much. I, I know everyone has the fix your hearts or die, but I think what I mm-hmm. love is that, uh, you know, it's like you said, is that uh, is that in 1990, or I guess for, for her scenes it would be 1991, because uh, most, most, anytime I've watched any movies or shows with a trans person, I it was always kind of played up as a joke for the most part, or it's like it was like handled oh, yeah. in like. You ever seen? Have you seen Ace Ventura recently? Oh, my oh God. yes. Um, or the or there's that scene from Dude Where's My Car where uh, I don't know if you watched that, but even stuff like have, yes. even stuff like Nip Talk where it's like they're kind of handled in a mature way, but oh, probably yeah, not the I most sensitive way. And that was like the, for me. That's the first time where I saw someone like trying to play it in a in a serious manner. But here we have Denise from 1991, and like way ahead of its time, at least 20 years. I would say closer to 30. Massively. And the things that yeah. David Duchovny is so good in that role that uh, yeah. I remember when I did my last rewatch of season three, I thought to myself like, you know, if David Duchovny, if he if he had the schedule. I would have been totally cool with Denise effectively replacing Tammy in terms of like, you know, Cole, Albert, and Denise, where, you know, they've, you know, they've been, Cooper's been missing for 25 years and they're all come back together to find him. Uh, it's just that there's something about the way that Denise uh, and how Dave Duchovny takes on that role where it's like he's having fun uh-huh. with it, but not insensitive. Because, oh, yeah. uh, you know, you think of yeah. how Denise is introduced when the problems of season two start to emerge, but she really Ooh, holds down the fort. Uh, and the things that... we just talk about that? I mean, you cut this out, but I, on a rewatch, I... So it's so believe it or not, I hadn't actually seen season two for oof, 20 years, wow. maybe. And in my mind... And I had seen season one, and obviously seen season three, and Firewalk with me a million times. And it sort of lived on in my mind when I was doing Lynch Bricks, which is why I didn't want to watch it, because I didn't want to sort of muddle with the way I remember it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, uh, when I watched it, I was like, what are we talking about? Season 2 is fantastic. And then literally, is it 16? Literally the minute when Leland is done. Whew, wow. It is a stinker for a while there. Oh, no, it's uh, for me, I, I think that it it's actively terrible for the most part. And I, my, my opinion softens up every time I do a rewatch, but I would say that it's a real bumpy road from the brothers fighting. Cause I know Grace Zabriskie, mm-hmm. she actually has a great introduction for that uh, upcut for that next episode, but from the brothers fighting to Josie's death, there's a lot of actively terrible plot threads. And then even like, oh, once you get past Josie's her. death, there's still some really bad moments, but you're kind of getting out of the neck of the woods. Yeah, well, just even, like, I love Nadine, but it's even just, like, all of a sudden slapstick is introduced to the show that was never there before. It's just so jarring, because you're just like, what's happening? And then you have this whole weird arc about Cooper becoming, buying a house, 
doing fishing, nothing's happening, you know, and then you have these ever-aging ancient villains who sometimes are in one episode. <laughs> I, I actually, the worst according one. to, sorry, yeah. oh no, sorry, um, uh, according to Harley Payton, yeah. they were banking on like a Dale and Audrey romance for a while. So I hear. And, uh, and then what happened was when that fell through, all they were left with were these plot, like, these little subplots. And, uh, yeah. and then uh, Mark Frost ended up admitting in the days of Wrapped in Plastic that they really should have just come right out of the gate with Wyndham Earl in the Black and White Lodge, like, right after Laura's uh, murder was resolved. Yeah. Uh, and I was yeah. like, yeah, it's like, I, I can definitely... So whenever I do a rewatch, I basically watch the the episode after Leland's death up until at least Josie's death. Usually up until the giant pawn piece. And I'm like, okay, when I start <laughs> watching tomorrow, the show will be fully back on track. Uh, we're just like... We'll, uh, we'll relate it to what you're saying, like, to, to what we're talking i have to say watching them and i was like oh my god i mean it's a lot of episodes isn't it is it's i think it's like eight where it's just nonsense it really is nonsense mm -hmm. and don't get me wrong some there are some good things in it but it's nonsense and um i just have got i think the minute gordon cole comes back and it's a little bonsai scene you're just ah yes. we're back on it, this it's actually great. i guess this kind of circles back to what i was saying is that when Gordon Cole shows up, especially like, you know, in season two, that's kind of Lynch kind of showing that he's going to shift the trajectory in the way that he feels it. Cause I know that, Thank um, God. <laughs> I, I know that, um, is that in room to dream, I believe, uh, or it might've been the man from another place by Dennis Kim, where Lynch talked about how the whole idea of, well, Laura whispering into Cooper's ear in the dream that my father killed me, that he hated mm -hmm. it. Like just screamingly hated that. That was never the intention to explain that. And I think that's why yeah. in uh, season three, why he has that scene of her whispering in, in Cooper's ear to kind of bring back that ambiguity that he wanted. And, that, you know, the, uh, you think of how the last shot of part 18 is her whispering into his ear and we will never uh, know. And, well, apparently Lynch, he is he absolutely knows what she says, but he'll just never tell us. Oh, I, I know what she said. Is that there is no season four. <laughs> oh, man. There's, there's a lot of people... Uh, there's definitely There's a, lot a lot of people of that would hope otherwise, but I'm fine well, with... Yeah, I'm, I think I'm fine. I, I have to say, I think I see it as a gift, and I'm delighted it happened, and I kind of feel season four might just push its luck. Yeah, well, I'm the happy thing, with it. Uh, Pam talked about it, actually when I first met her, is that any prospects of like a season four basically died with Catherine Coulson. Because you think of like the really? log lady, where that was uh, some that uh, Lynch and Coulson had in mind since the days of Eraserhead. What was the log girl? It was like a almost a PBS sort of special. And uh, the thing is that so this was a character they had in mind, and uh, despite the fact she only has fifteen minutes of screen time throughout all three seasons mm -hmm. of Firewalk with me, the fact that you know he has her for the log lady intros, which is actually technically double her time from the original series. And oh, yeah, then, yeah, uh, yeah. and then, like, no, there's, uh, I guess you could say the Georgia Coffee commercials, but, uh, but then oh, yeah. you also have like her role basically guiding Hawk throughout season three, and uh, oh, and it's beautiful, oh, isn't it? Just I, that, that like that good night, Margaret. You know, and it, it was it uh, goodbye, Margaret. You know, it's just oh, it's beautiful. That, you know, it's just like that is season three. You know, that is just. Oh, that's a scene that becomes more crushing on each rewatch. Like you think that, uh, yeah. like you know, it's coming, and it's like I guess the less esoteric aspects. But no, that scene, yeah. like, uh, like the whole, like when she says, "My log is turning gold," that pulls heartstrings. Yeah. Like 
more the each time when you watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, anyway, so uh, Gordon Cole, I think I've kind of said everything I can sort of think of about it, but just I suppose just to say, like, what a what how lovely to just to just focus on him, you know, like I did it for the podcast and I just kind of was just watching these scenes and I've never done that before, you know, and it's just what a lovely sort of trajectory he has over the whole thing. His arc is just like brilliant, you know, that is just from this comedy character right through to this suddenly really nuanced, really clever, really important you know, character who's just a million miles away from the joke. Joke's maybe in the right way, but a million miles away from the quirky oddness of the surf is when he first came out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, exactly. And honestly, I think that's probably the best way you could uh, conclude this episode. So I just want to say thanks for sure. coming on and like going well no above problem. and beyond your call of duty to do your research. Because <laughs> I, was, was, no I was expecting like, you just fun. to have like just like <laughs> notes and then just be like, hey, hey here's some plot threads that's, that have been on my mind for five years. But it's like you like went through it was like, hey, I noticed he, he like grabs her shoulder and like, wow. That's gonna make me look at that scene differently, <laughs> and when I go through and edit this, I'm gonna find even I'm gonna remember even more stuff that's gonna pop out. Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like obviously with this page of like my Instagram, you know, I with the Lego figures, it's 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 given me a new level of it pays to pay, to pay attention when watching the show, you know, and it, it sort of. Um, yeah, I just get it off from. It just keeps it alive, doesn't it? It just like there's unpacking the secrets and fueling speculation. It's just the secret why Twin Peaks lives on mm-hmm. forever. Oh, for basically. sure. But yeah, thank you for coming on. And uh, this was this was like a great episode. I uh, can't wait to see how people <laughs> feel about it. Sure. Um, can I just uh, do we plug? Oh, um, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Lynch Bricks, uh, Lynch underscore Bricks um, on Instagram, and um, give me a follow. It's lots of fun. It's um, I think I just call my page Twin Peaks but Lego, and it's just um, you know what? Just go to the page and you'll find out from there what it's like. Oh yeah, now actually, this is the part where I'll continue the plug. Is that when you when you did like all these characters, and then you got to the part with like when you made the Lego Frog Moth. That's I actually uh, when I saw that picture that you had like of the four parter, I legitimately laughed out loud. And the person that was in the room with me was like, you know, Colin, I wish I could make you laugh as much as you laughed at that. Uh, so <laughs> I must have laughed pretty hard when that happened. But what four parter was that one? That was the one where it's like the instead of crawling into the girl's mouth, it's crawling into your mouth, and you just had this bug eyed like, oh, a, yeah. oh no, <laughs> I see what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you said that to me in Messenger, and I just like, oh, Martin sent me something, and I open it, and I'm just like, <laughs> I, 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 I don't think I get, I could, I could like deep. Sorry, yeah. No, I don't think I could just replicate that I'm... laugh, but oh no, it's fun. It's you know, as much as people are like. Sometimes I explain to people what I do, and they kind of screw up their face, and then I'll send them some photos, and they laugh, and they kind of get it. You know, like I'm not, I don't take it too seriously, but I, I kind of do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I have a lot of fun with right. it, and I, I kind of, I'm, the nicest thing about Lynch Bricks is just that I get to people. You know, people come and talk to me all the time, and we have theories, and it's lovely, and people get. 
uh, I sort of have to play a bit of a dance where I could get real obscure if I was left my own devices, but uh, it ain't gonna work, is it? You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. I, I think I did one, the most obscure I ever, well, actually it was two, but the most obscure I ever did was, it was um, a glass of water with a Lego tile of socks and another Lego tile of a fire, like dropped into it. And I was like, this is a genius one. This is gonna get like at least a thousand likes. <laughs> and I think it came back and I think it was like, a hundred and I was like mm, maybe we'll just uh... <laughs> or the worst one <laughs> sorry I'm totally keen cut this out but the worst one was uh... I, sometimes I'm a little too clever for my own good like what I've discovered is that the the ones that the, one, the ones that I think are going to be rubbish and nobody's going to be bothered with they love mm -hmm. and the ones that are like I put a huge amount of effort in people are like whatever <laughs> but i did uh I, I, you know what idiot me i did a reference to um the firewalk in the soundtrack which i love by the way and uh but you know black dog runs at night mm -hmm. oh yeah uh-huh it's i've lost you <laughs> oh no 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 like the the scene with the grandson uh where yeah, it's like... yeah 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 black dog runs at night but i love the soundtrack and uh obviously not only am I ref, I mean, the problem is with Lynch Bricks is that if I was doing Star Wars or Marvel or something, I think I would be like laughing, but because I'm also like doing a show that I adore, but it's also, you know, decades old, <laughs> I can't be like too obscure, bizar bizarrely. I tried to do one where it was uh, Black Dog Runs at Night and it was just a black completely black and just two dogs like a dog's eyes <laughs> in I, I could be wrong but i think i actually like that one i was like oh this is a reference i didn't expect if you did you were one of 30. oh okay i'll have to check that to confirm but i think i did I, I deleted it because oh, I was just okay. like, no, that's that's literally just like a blight on my. <laughs> like... oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, oh, but anyways, like, I think that this. But yeah, no, I'm glad we got that plug, and yeah, guys, just follow Lynch Bricks, and uh, I'll see you guys on the next episode. Mm -hmm.